Are you conscious of your addiction? Refuse to be defined by it? Not satisfied with living your life on the surface? Are you drawn to deeper meaning and purpose? And believe that it's possible to grow through your addiction to experience true freedom? Well, welcome home. Share the journey from addiction to freedom with your host, Michael Gregory. Welcome to Addiction to Freedom. Um, I'm really excited today to introduce Mo Ari. He has a really interesting story about, uh, and I'm not going to say too much and spoil it, but but we've really had an interesting conversation around identity. And he has a really authentic story that will, a journey that will will actually really, I think, make, make us all think. It certainly made me think about how real different sort of forms of identity are authentic and also how we have a, just a default take of a granted view that doesn't necessarily fit all, one size does not fit all. And uh, I think it, I think it's uh, worth worth listening to. And then we, we actually ended up going beyond, you know, in the sense of like the take of a granted view of identity associated with the body or the personality. We talked about about another level of identity, and that was really interesting too. So I really encourage you to have a listen to this one. So welcome, Mo. Uh, is that what you like to be called, or is it T? Mo or Mo Ari. Mo Ari. And I use they, them, or he, him pronouns. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, so welcome to Addiction to Freedom. I'm really excited to have you as a guest, more excited to have a conversation. So I've I've kind of been looking at your bit of your journey and things like that. Yeah. And which, you know, and I just, and I noticed you've done a lot of consideration around identity mm. and being your authentic self and things like that. And I'm really interested to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I've done so much work. And when I think about my journey, I actually think super far back. So if I can go tell you a little bit of a story so that we get everybody caught up in that journey. I'd love to start with just where I grew up. Like I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And so for anybody not familiar with Chicago, as far as this a major city in the US, it is very urban, very diverse. At the same time, very, very segregated, not in a literal way, but you could go from on one side of the city and only see people of one color and then go to the other side of the, the city and see people of another. So I grew up on the South Side. And that's where a lot of like Black people live. And it's been a very interesting social experiment. Uh, but it adds to my my background because my parents grew up very much like working class, if not poor, probably. <laughs> I would say that they would say that they probably grew up poor. And they had a lot of difficult circumstances, a lot of trauma. Uh, some of those traumas even made the newspaper. Like they went through some things and they were really determined for me to like not end up in those kinds of circumstances. So as much as they could, they really sheltered me and also came up with this set path for me. They really wanted me to go on a narrow path. And while that was good, it kept me out of trouble, kept me out of harm's way to a certain extent. I still experienced a lot of trauma. And then it wasn't until grad school for marriage and family therapy that I started to really unpack some of that 
and realized that I was living with a lot of fear. That fear was what was motivating me to succeed, achieve things, go to Northwestern for undergrad and grad school, try to make it out of those circumstances, but it was fear. Like I didn't want to have a life like what they, I grew up hearing that they went through. I didn't want to do anything outside of make them proud. And so somewhere also in grad school, I realized I am not, uh, I am not cisgender. So I was assigned female at birth. I have an identical twin sister. And in grad school sometime, I realized I am actually a trans man. And that process of really peeling back the layers and understanding myself met me with this moment I hadn't really sat with before, which was asking myself this question, am I going to choose authenticity or am I going to choose belonging? I had grown up experiencing a lot of traumas I had never talked to my parents about, but I was in this moment where I was thinking about for the first time, am I going to like actually like just take that leap? I had been being so controlled by my fear. And so I finally said, hey, I am Mo Ari. I'm changing my name. I'm having top surgery. I'm doing the things. And it actually flipped my whole life around because they were like, okay, it was not even that big of a deal. It was not uh, this big procession like I thought it was going to be. And I got this acceptance that I wasn't expecting. But that showed me something about fear, which I think is very relevant to what you have you kind of inspired me a lot in the ways that you have been talking about addiction on your podcast. And can I ask something? Yeah, because I know you you're going somewhere with this, but I just yeah. and if we go too far, then I'm sure that I won't get the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I'm asking. I want to ask this from the point of view that I, I think a lot of people in their mind who are not so much familiar with kind of the way that you talk about gender, yeah, I think that they're going to be you know some people not everyone, might be thinking, you know, what do you mean by that? And is it something that you just decided one day, like just going to switch genders or how did you, I feel it's important to understand or, or have that in the conversation about a bit of more of that journey that you came to, because I can see that this is not, this is a real thing that didn't just happen in one second. And I, and I don't know if that's well understood. I mean, I, I, I don't pretend to understand it because I haven't been through that, you know. So I really, if you feel open to sharing about that, I would really love to know about Like, I mean, when did you kind of first realise that there was something that you weren't, that didn't gel? I mean, and, you know, and, and you got to the point where you actually kind of became clear. How did all that happen? Yeah, this is a good question. And I appreciate you taking the moment to be like, let's clarify, because I think it's important. It's an important part of my story. I think the realization might have happened in grad school, but I think somewhere deep down, I knew a long time growing up and being like an identical twin and then having four older brothers. I was so much like my brothers and not like my sister, but we dressed exactly alike. We did all of the things like ballet and I hated all of that stuff. Like I hated <laughs> And my mom even tells stories now about how I would like rip bows off of my head. And I was like screaming at the top of my lungs when she would try to put bows on my head when I was a little kid. And now 
that's oversimplifying gender because gender isn't just those things. I remember trying to pee standing up as like a seven-year-old or like wanting to spit outside like my brothers and then being (laughs) like, girls don't do that and being deeply offended. Like I remember being so hurt or when people, I've had other experiences where people would remind me of being assigned female at birth or they would say something like, well, you're not a man, so you can't do that. And I would be like very, very upset. And I I had to start wrestling with why I was hurt by those words. Why was it, it, I had to explore like whether it was me feeling like they were making me less than because I was assigned female at birth. Or I had to wrestle with this idea that was coming up, which was like, no, actually they're saying you're not a man, but maybe you are. Maybe that is actually your identity. And so I guess if I could. Mm -hmm. When you say assigned uh, female at birth, is that term that you use for everyone? Like as in I was assigned male? Yeah. As opposed to like, I guess most people would think that, you know, your physical body is not a question of assignment. It's just, it's according to the body. But I'm I'm kind of picking up that you're, pointing to something different about gender. Yeah, so insightful. I love how you listen to me. I'm loving it. Okay, good conversation. (laughs) Absolutely, you're getting at something that's so important. Biology is that thing. It's, It's kind of concrete in some ways, like how genitalia forms, like your chromosomes, all that stuff. I don't argue against it. I say I was assigned female at birth. You were assigned male at birth. All of that is inherent in biology. I, When I see gender, though, I see gender as very separate and distinct. Gender being just the role or the performance of how I carry gender in the society. So we know that clothing impacts how we present ourselves. We know how deep our voice is, has something to do with that. We know how facial hair, like all these other features end up playing into our gender presentation, even who pays the bills or whatever, depending on how gender is structured in your culture or community. And so for me, gender feels very separate than my biological sex. And so when I say I was assigned female at birth, I'm saying that often that identity came along with assumptions about how I should perform my gender, but I very much identify as a masculine person, even though my body, when I was born, had different genitalia, and then later on, different uh, secondary sex characteristics. And so I think for people who identify as non-binary or transgender, they're often talking about their experience of their gender role or their role that they take on in their social relationships more than they are talking about their biology. Right, right. So so what you're saying is that it's a kind of a simplistic way of identi- assigning or for the society to pick gender just by aligning gender with biology, right? And you're saying there's a more complex definition and some people don't fit into that stock standard way of op- you know, formula. Like, for example, you you and you were saying that, you know, coming back to what you were talking about, like all these experiences throughout childhood where mm-hmm. it just wasn't gelling for you, like this body-mind wasn't actually meet, matching the way that you were feeling in society, in, in the culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I was doing mind over matter for a long time. And then I realized they need to really agree. They have to line up. They have to come to the same conversation or you're just not, you're not living authentically. Well, I wasn't. And I can remember conversations with my dad and when I first came out as transgender, he was like, you know, there were moments when you were a kid and we would be buying clothes at the store and you'd be like, I can get boys clothes. You'd be adamant. And he was like, you can. His response was, you can. But they didn't buy them for me because I was a twin. Man. So it kind of kept me inside of a particular box. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. That, was that like at some point, was that, I mean, when you're a child, you know, your intellectual capabilities aren't, really informed yet so you're just reacting in the moment emotionally a lot of the time and then and that I guess that would have been you know you would have had the a lot of this conflict inside which you know you were ripping the bows off and expressing I want this but not ever being granted that and then at some point you must have you know after your intellectual capabilities developed is that when you started to unpack it a bit or or when did you realize that yeah you know I would say when my intellectual capabilities kind of came online it was more around like going into college but I just kind of started dabbling in gender expression so like wearing ties or wearing like pantsuits and things like that but I didn't quite understand that there was a whole, uh, there are whole other genders out there, that there are other ways of being outside of man or woman. And, and it wasn't until I would say grad school when I actually met transgender people and I actually was able to connect with other transgender people on social media that I started being like, their story is my story. And it started really, really hitting home. And when that light bulb went off, it was undeniable. And it was like a real choice. Am I going to like stuff this down? Almost like trying to really pacify my pain almost. Like, am I going to just really stuff this down and try to escape? Or am I going to really lean into what's happening for me here? And, And I wonder if I had been kind of stuffing that down for a long time. Well, it sounds like it from what you were saying, like, you know, ripping the bow out of your hair and wanting to wear boys' clothes and behave, you know, like, you know, your brothers. But and, and I assume that that was just continual. That wasn't just those few moments. Yeah, it wasn't. I just didn't realize it. I mean, I'm thinking right now about uh, moments in puberty where I was like crying about my body changing and being like, I do not want breasts. Like it was, bra shopping was traumatizing almost. Like I remember like crying on this visceral level, just like tears would not stop coming and being like, I don't want that. And then my mom being like, you're gonna, you're gonna get used to it. And she was in her own way trying to be supportive because she probably didn't understand why I was having this reaction. And so it makes sense now. And my parents have said like, this makes sense now. Right. So it makes sense to all the people around you. Yeah. Um, now that you've aligned yeah. your gender role with your mm-hmm. or your aligned body with your gender role. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I allow myself to see myself different too. And that was an adjustment in itself. Yeah. So you must have thought a lot about identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not everyone gets the opportunity to really unpack 
identity like you have in a really quite focused and really life life impactful way like not you know it's like a massive question that people often just skip by it really is absolutely i think being a therapist helped me a lot okay so how did that come about yeah well so experiencing a lot of trauma in childhood i think i went on a journey of like going to therapy for my own healing and then i realized i really want to help other people do this work I really want to help other people just overcome this kind of stuff. I didn't think I had other things to overcome. Then here's my identity starting to shift. But so then I go into the therapy field, like very, very optimistic. Like I'm going to help everybody heal generational trauma. And that's where I started. I started really doing trauma with, um, sorry, trauma work with sexual assault survivors. And that radically changed my life. I developed this like radical compassion that I really, really carry with me. And I think it helped me to accept myself because so much of trauma work is really freeing yourself from shame. And once I was able to do that, I could tell people anything, step into any room as myself. And so that really helped me. And I think doing that work with so many survivors allowed me to end up showing up in the therapy room as Moari and showing up with my family. And so I think therapy came about because I really wanted to help other people heal. And then they ended up helping me. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's always two way, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, like everything's two way. Absolutely. You know, you know whether it's an, an, you know, a negative judgment that it has an impact both ways. Yeah. Or whether it's like a, feeling of love and compassion it has a feeling both ways yeah yeah and and i think absolutely i mean definitely i think healing on the on the inside as you say opens you out to being able to experience and be more connect on more deeper levels with with other people because so because for example shame or you know strong emotions like that block us from really being connecting because we want to retreat from that absolutely yeah yeah and i found that that was what i was wrestling with the most my entire life was this desire to retreat from the challenging emotions those these ex challenging experiences and i figure that at the core of the work that i've done really is trying to really master my relationship with fear and so it's like, if I can't obliterate fear, <laughs> what can I, what can, how can I change my relationship to fear? So I think I've been on that journey. So where are you up? To, where have you come to with that so far, your relationship with fear? I think I, and I think listening to your podcast has helped me clarify this more, really. Yeah, like fear, I think felt like a temptation almost. I think you describe addiction as this, I don't have the specific words, but you almost uh, classified it as a, almost like a behavior or an action against your own free will. And I thought that that was so beautiful because when I think about my relationship to fear, that was, it was like this fear of being rejected, really. But when I think about that, I've made so many decisions in that direction. And it wasn't like fear was this pleasurable experience in a traditional way, but getting to lean into the fear and and stay in my comfort zone was much more enjoyable than doing the thing that made me 
desperately afraid. So if it was losing the validation and the approval of my parents, who I had seen work really hard out of these very difficult circumstances to go get master's degrees, raise six children, I didn't want to do anything to disappoint them. I ended up having this relationship with fear that was so tempting. It's like lean into this comfort zone every single time I was met with a challenge. And then I realized that those challenges were inviting me to grow. And like I said, the first time I actually did something different was when I said I'm transgender. I didn't tell them about as an adult. I think I had experiences with them when I was younger that I had talked about my trauma, but I didn't bring it up again until I was an adult after I transitioned. Because that moment really changed my life. It really was the first time I chose authenticity over belonging. And I didn't lean into that temptation, that fear against my will. <laughs> Every single time I was feeling afraid or met with a challenge. And so that fear of rejection didn't feel like it controlled my life anymore. And I think that that's where I am. It doesn't control my life. Also, it's almost like now I see it. I'm looking at it. I don't know what to do with that thing, but it's not controlling me. <laughs> but that's so interesting because you said, now I see it, it's like I'm looking at it, mm -hmm. you know, and in other words, now I see the fear. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like I'm looking at the fear. Yeah. And, and I'm very interested in that, you know, who is I who is looking at the fear? Yeah. In other That's words, the, the fear is not me. The fear is not me. Because you are looking at the fear. Right. And the fear was never you. Yeah. Yeah. Now I feel so separate from it. And I think it's a it's like having a lot of conversations, but also reading some really great books. I've read some really great books that started to give me some of this language around being separate from my emotions in general, but fear for certain. And so the I or the self that is even able to observe just neutrally these experiences that come up, that definitely has been a part of what has changed my life. Yeah, yeah, because you said radical compassion arose, you know, and that, you know, is another, is a form of expression of love in a sense. And, and that, I see that as an expression of what we are. When I, when I say I am looking at that, if I was, if I, you know, take a moment to experience what I is that's looking at, at this, in that it's not like an I separate to anything. It doesn't have any boundaries. And, and it is love. And, you know, and that, so I think what we are is the radical compassion. And there is no fear in that. There is no anger in that, you know, all of those things. Like, like it's, it's almost like the way I see it is that it's like what we are, like you said, your, what you are authentically, you needed to align your body mind with that. And yeah. for you, it was aligning your body partially yeah. and your and, and so that other people would then, you know, be able to re relate to you in the way that your yeah. internal personality felt right. Mm -hmm. And I think, so, so I kind of think, see personality as a kind of dimension, let's say, that we inhabit, 
in a way. And uh, fascinating how everyone's so individual. But at some point there, you know, there's the behaviours, the thoughts, the reactions and, and fear and anger and shame and belonging and, you know, craving and all those things are present in the body mind, either as thoughts or imaginations or feelings, right? So that's kind of like a dimension. I think Eckhart Tolle calls it the pain body. I mean, I really love Eckhart Tolle, but I don't, Tolle, but I don't necessarily, I was thinking about this the other day, I don't necessarily, I would love to ask him the question. I don't want to presume that I understand, but I'd love to ask him the question, why is it just the pain body? I mean, isn't it just the the body mind, right? Because it's sometimes pain, sometimes pleasure. So that dimension, let's say, is present. And and then the, the who is looking, like you said before, who is looking and seeing this, whatever's going on in the body mind, whether let's call it fear, for example, whoever's looking, that what is that? That you know, when you look at that, where is the identity of that? Like what, what where is the identity of that? Hmm. You know, it's a great question, and I've pondered this so much. It feels very separate from, it feels separate from the mind-body. And so I'd call it soul, or some people might call it intelligence. I'm not quite sure how to, like, put my finger on it, that I that is, like, experiencing this personality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so tempting to try and label it and name it and define it. and Because essentially that's the, again, that's kind of like a feedback loop back into the intellectual mind trying to trying to actually turn its eye backwards and look at what's cre- where it, the environment that it exists within. And, and it's like um, it's almost impossible for that intellectual mind to be able to define it. I mean, it, it just is impossible, I think. Only to point to it, perhaps, which is kind of interesting even in itself that we can do that. But that's why, I, that's, that's why I'm so interested in your experience because, see, a lot of people, I think most, I mean, I include myself in that, you know, assume um, gender and identity in a certain way, you know. And then there are a lot of people who are saying that, you know, this is right and that's wrong. This is natural and that's not natural. But, but I, I just don't think that that's really, I don't think that they've really kind of stopped and said, well, let's go, let's look at, let's actually really unpack that and let's look at, like, who is I that has this identity? And, and to me, when I look at, experience that, I doesn't have an identity. No, it just is. Yeah. 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 So all the rest of it is a constructed self, uh, constructed in a certain, you know, and it can, for, for I guess a lot of people it conforms to their biology and for some people it doesn't, but it, regardless, it's still the same construction process, you know, that, that keeps alive all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's so complicated and so complex, but just thinking about myself as a non-binary or trans person, I think this is as close as I've gotten in this lifetime to really being able to free myself of identity altogether by saying I'm non-binary, gender just is not relevant to this vessel. But I think even by labeling myself that, I'm limiting that I or that self. Yeah, I 
completely agree. Yeah. So I'm even curious. You might meet me 10 years from now and we'll be having a conversation about how I've evolved even beyond that, because I'm really I'm also very curious about how to just allow myself to be to just be and to not think so often about aligning the physical body. So I've definitely gotten to a place where I'm like very comfortable in like where I am. But I want to spend more time really connecting to that self that's even more internal than that. The self that doesn't, that is expressing love through this vessel has nothing to do with gender at the end of the day. It doesn't have to do with my skin color. I'm just here to be love. And so I didn't want to spend a lot of my journey focused on transition. I was like, this is, you know, I want to help other people so that they feel good in themselves. And I've done a lot of that work, but I think my work here is really to be love. And I'm hearing so much from you that that is how you feel about your own work. Uh, so I'm very aligned with that thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just having this conversation and kind of thinking about about that. My, I have it one one of I have three sons, and one of one of them, the oldest one, who's thirty, is gay. And it kind of that's where I started the the my kind of journey of unpacking that, and I kind of came to the position of, which is in a way extended to all of this kind of consideration where you've got the majority of society's default position, and then you've got and then you've got other people's like very real kind of difference, and uh, and so and I really did come to the point where it's. it's you know, it, it, it's not that big a deal because at the end of the day, what we are is what we are, as in, in terms of, I'm talking about beyond personality. Yeah, beyond personality. I love that. And, and we are the same in that. Beyond personality, we're the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if it's like, was your love for your son, your connection to him that allowed you to transcend beyond personality and see him beyond that and just allow him to just be? What was it for you? I know I'm not interviewing you on your podcast, no, but okay. I'm just really curious. No, it's a mutual <laughs> conversation. Yeah. yeah no, no, it's a good question. Well, what it was was, I guess I had questions around like, I thought I was all cool with it. You know, and I and and I really did think I was, but then when it's right in my own, like really yeah. so close to my own son, yeah. that's when I realized actually I've got some uncomfortable feelings here about this. You know, and I realized that they were my feelings, right? And it wasn't, and I had to look at that. And then I got to the position: well, do I think of, you know, my sister having sex? And and if I go there, then I think, oh. <laughs> don't want to think that, you know, you know. Well, why do I think of my son having sex? Why is that so like prominent in my mind now that he's told me this? You know, you know, that's just because it's not my attraction. Why do I even go there? And then I thought, well, yeah, it's just I'm I've just all got a bit of an addiction in a way to to this you know set of thought clusters, you know, and uh, somehow having this reaction in me this in the body mind and then i uh, after i kind of saw that then i realized that well basically whatever he does or doesn't do am i going to stop loving him does that mean i love him less like if he was let's say he did something really awful i i wouldn't necessarily agree with that but would i stop loving him 
No. And then I, so then I thought, well, it's not about any of that stuff. It's just about love. He can do whatever. It's his choice what he wants to do, you know, and, and, and that's his life. But my love doesn't need to be, to be conditional on, on, on his behaviours, you know. Right. Right. That's beautiful. And your connection to that unconditional love, this is so important because I feel like for any parent, any relationship, anybody in relationship with someone where there's difference that shows up, it's this unconditional self-love that it obviously you've done work with yourself to sit with yourself. That's, that's what you just said. You were able to ask yourself, these are my feelings, but you were able to really have compassion for yourself in that and sit with yourself through that so that your unconditional love for yourself was able to reach your son because then it just extended outward. And I think so many people want to offer unconditional love to other people, but don't have it for themselves. And so that's where they're missing that ability to connect with other people. I meet so many people that I think, and I've been in some situations where I've somebody like grabbed me by my collar because I was going into a bathroom that they didn't think I should be in or, you know, but I think about those people and I'm like, there is something oh, happening. Awful. Internal that would have been awful. Yeah. <laughs> that's totally awful and offensive, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It was. And I was pretty, I'm, healed about it now but I was so upset then I was like very very upset but now I can like feel compassion for them and the part of them that probably doesn't know how to work through those difficult feelings that come up for them when they can't put a, a they can't put their finger on someone's gender identity or they can't play, easily place someone I think that that elicits that uh it causes that impulse of fear to arise I think yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something very kind of core that gets triggered, some kind of core programming or something that gets triggered. Because I, I don't know if you, you might, I don't know if you listened to one of, one of the previous episodes I did, I was really contemplating about belief, like core beliefs. Mm, yeah, I don't yeah. think I got to that one. Yeah, because I was uh, with my clients, I'm noticing, because I run a stop smoking program and and, and if they follow the method, they're going to stop smoking without willpower quite smoothly. What I'm noticing is that some of them get blocked from actually even engaging in very simple things like watching a video. You know, yeah. they're blocked and they're blocked because of something, some core belief inside of them getting touched on, right? And that caused me to think of like, what, what are these core beliefs? And, and then I, I kind of realised that what they are, this is kind of, you might, this is interesting, is that they're kind of like thought clusters, the awareness, who we are, who we are, right, the undifferentiated has identified with and taken on and weaved into the, to the constructed self as if that is me, right? And then it, and the brain loves to put everything on autopilot if it can, so then these, core, these these thought clusters, which are unquestioned, are on autopilot, right? And so, and because as you know, in therapy, when someone has like a, a core belief that they're acting out now that maybe is related to some other circumstance, but it's not related to now, they have to unpack and look at the truth as to, is this belief that's empowering this behaviour, is this relevant to now? 
by analyzing that, and so it does, so then it becomes to consciousness. They can then make a free choice. Oh, oh, that actually isn't that isn't related to here now. So now my actions are freely. I can choose something different, and I think that's what happens with gender. You know, like default gender reactions and and considerations, and all sorts of all sorts of things. You know, it's almost like the body mind, you know, has this, and it's like, it's an amazing, it's amazing that we have this capability. It's like a superpower because, and and, I mean, imagine if we had to think about all the things that we were going to do, you know, and all these reactions that we have, imagine if we have to stop, we'd never do anything. So, so we need to have this autopilot stuff, but the problem is a lot of the, let's call it the conditioning programming has, that's been handed down to us is, is actually faulty. Mm -hmm doesn't align the body so our body mind reactions are not aligning to what we are and therefore not a, and not aligning to the situation so we're causing all this disharmony yeah that's so beautiful it's beautifully said I, and i'm thinking so much about how some of those scripts might even be inherited from families families of origin and how unconscious those scripts are that, that's what you're saying it's like autopilot is necessary it really does allow you to not uh, to well it allows you to take in a lot of new information and uh, if you can put everything into a box over there uh, you can take in new information because everything is neatly in a place and re-examining those scripts doesn't happen that often <laughs> and so it's so important when yeah when you're experiencing these moments outside of the normal when it comes up and you're like, why is this happening? It's coming up to be healed. It's like, it's time now. Yeah. Well, for me at the moment, like whenever I, so, so there's like a default, like baseline feeling of peace and subtle love and, 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 and at times joy. And then, and so, so that's like, that's kind of like the baseline, which is in a way what we are. So and there, so then, when the body mind has a a sudden charge, like there's a sudden feeling, like oh, what's that? You know, and then well, what are the thoughts? Oh, you know, because it's suddenly it's like it's like on a, you know in a big you know it's like a, a pebble has been thrown into a still pond. It's like whoa, what is that ripple? You know, and and so so that's usually coming from some default programming. Or you know some kind of belief or scripts like you say that has not been aligned that is not automatically aligned, and so there's a disturbance in the piece, and so that's the that's like the body mind being a this biofeedback mechanism to actually, so you know so it's kind of like immediate therapy, like once you get it to that point you can it's like it's just a constant process of refinement. Yeah. I'm thinking about this in relation to fear and I have a question for you. It's like when I'm thinking about like my journey and thinking about moments where I choose, I chose to be authentic or I chose belonging. And, and of course, eventually I'm like, I am going to be myself and I'm going to belong. That's the goal. But in moments where I chose authenticity or I chose belonging, let's say I chose belonging and it was a fear-based response. I want to break down more with you because I'm really liking this concept. I want to break down that break that down more. This concept around the 
the autopilot and the the programming and what could have been happening for me so that I walk away from here like <laughs> changed. Well, I'm not sure if this answers the question, but if it doesn't, then we'll, we'll definitely come back around to it. So, so when you were saying I'm choosing authenticity over belonging, so that choosing, I think that's happening that's happening at the level of the intellectual mind and the ego runs that the ego yeah. the ego complex is 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 a cl- cluster of like a it's like a big network of you know where a lot of thoughts beliefs and everything kind of you know it kind of keeps on recreating its identity all the time every every so so i think that's the one who is making this choice of belonging or authenticity so and if that's the one running the show then in a sense both authenticity and belonging there should never really need to be a choice between those so then if we step back and look at who is looking at this right so who is looking at this is already belonging there is not even a question of not belonging and and who is looking is also there's not even a question of inauthenticity. It's already belonging and authentic. And there's no fear there. So all of the disturbance is happening happening in the thought clusters. I love it. I <laughs> think you answered it perfectly. That just kind of blew my mind a little bit. It's like... <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. And if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that at on the the choice happens on this intellectual or ego or personality level. And really when you step into that neutral observer, that that I who's watching, the I am, when you step into that, then there is not really a choice. And you're just being. And that is pure authenticity. And I think and belonging at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I so what's, happen- that. what's happening then at that point when experiencing that truth mm-hmm. of it yeah. in experiencing is then the intellectual mind is starts to align with that. Mm-hmm. So those thought clusters and things start to shift in alignment with I already belong. I already am authentic. I think that's the thing. It's not a matter of getting rid of the ego or, or all those things. It's a matter of alignment of that with the truth. And and so then it's not separate. Like it's not separate because I'll tell you why it's not separate in, in my experience at the moment is that wherever awareness is, that is all connected. So, there, so if awareness is awareness of the thinking mind, then awareness is not separate to that, you know? Like, and awareness is not separate to this monitor, this screen or this room or this table because it is, because that is, it, everything is here by virtue of awareness. I mean, even to say that is to sep- to create a false separation using the conceptual mind to, to say that. Even. So really, and, and then, so it's just a matter of where the, at what what point is does awareness it's like focusing a lens i suppose you know how you can focus the camera in the foreground middle ground or you know and there, but in this in this sense if if we focus it in 
in what what we are, then there is then there is no ground, so to speak. It's all part, it's all one thing. So I, I'm the project that I'm kind of where what I'm thinking about is is a lot the, for the body watching the body mind align to this. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's captivating. I'm like, I want to read the book. I want, uh, <laughs> yeah, I absolutely well, can feel that. Yeah, well, I, I think you are that. the book. You, you are the book. Yeah. <laughs> I received that. <laughs> yeah. But you just articulate that so nicely, this uh, concept around awareness being all there is and that's what everything is connected to and nothing is separate so it just feels very whole and and i on an intellectual level and the physical level i think i've understood that like we come here whole we come here with these amazing gifts abilities talents uh this real magic and along the way we start making that choice we get down into the ego level we start making that choice well i want to fit in so i better do x and we we step out of that space where everything is everything and we are able to be both authentic and belong and we go i went down this path of feeling like i had to choose and i think it's so similar to everybody and that creates a great deal of pain and in the process of trying to ignore that pain for so long i had all kinds of like ways of coping with that that i think were addictive like working too much that was one of them not making time for like fitness and like other things like that because i was just like working so much even depressing thoughts became like a cycle or a a way of escaping what it really was that i wasn't dealing with which was my separateness from myself and i'm using your concept like i figured this out months ago i'm really figuring this out now but (laughs) and so i can really feel so much i'm feeling into it like This, how this separateness created that mindset that I had to choose. And that was a part of this programming that happened when I was much younger and integrating so many new concepts and ideas, meeting so many new people like you, this is really helping me. And I think I'm walking away from this understanding that wholeness looks like just being and allowing myself to step into that neutrality more often and being just very aware and observing. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I, it's wonderful to hear, you, you know, what you're, what you're, what you're saying. It's so resonate with that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so curious about your life and your journey. So I'll have to keep like listening and learning more and more about you and how you got to this place where you're even inviting other people in to talk about freedom and addiction and love and how a human everything human yeah 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 that's it because i think well i'll just very just give a very quick um statement about that is that fell into helping people with addiction which then caused me to kind of really have a look at that and then i realized that we're all addicted so it's not because there's this stigma that people who are addicted are somehow defective and deficient and wrong and bad and broken and i just think well hang on a minute we're all addicted 
and we don't even know it most of the time. And particularly if someone's thinking that, well, it's like, you know, t- have a look at this, the log in your own eye rather than the splinter in someone else's. And, and the most thing that was tracing addiction, like, well, what are we addicted to? What am I addicted to? You know, you trace it back and you find, I think, well, at least I've found that the core addiction is our addiction to our self because every other addiction is all about me. Yeah, I want this. I want that. I'm upset because this hasn't happened or that hasn't happened or... And, and then, the bo- then the body mind is all caught up in that fight or flight or the neurochemistry and all the, and the emotions. They're all caught up in it on the level of the body mind to try and cope. But the missing, the key point is that it, the perception of what I am is at the root of all addiction. So if, and if, we're all, if we all look at that, then addiction, I mean, and see how we are all addicted and we deal with that one, then all the other ones just fall away and we are happy and we feel have peace and we are loving and we have an automatic biofeedback mechanism to filter so that we stop, we stop reacting so quickly and creating harm. So that's why I think addiction to ourselves which is obviously our addiction to our misconceived self, our constructed self, which is very important, but it just needs it just needs to be aligned. It just needs to come into alignment with what we are, so that it's a, so that it's a clear expression. There's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely, that makes so much sense. And when I keep thinking about this separateness that you talked about, when I think about this separateness. And how many people experiencing addiction are feeling lonely or how many people are feeling disconnected from other people and all the neurotransmitters that create these rewards and these really great responses inside of our brains are often recreating this nurturing quality or the feeling of being held. And so... I wonder when you're, I think about the separateness, if it's really us wanting to really reconnect with this self that we are, the I that's observing versus the personality, which we get really caught up in, but it's not bringing us closer to that connection or that wholeness or that nurturing that we're really looking for when we're looking for that reward. Yeah, yeah, I really agree. I, I think a lot of substance addictions well, actually, you could say basically most, I can't think of an addiction that, that doesn't come into this. I think most addictions are basically trying to find relief from the disturbance of the body mind. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That's me with fear. Like, I don't like this. I don't like this feeling of having to think about rejection. So let me go over here and just do the comfort. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me go and have a drink or let me go and, you know, have sex or let me go and, I don't know, do some high adrenaline sport or, you know, let me go and get lost in Netflix. Let me go and have a new relationship or buy a new thing or, you know, get lost in work, you know. And I think it's all, you know, and, and our biology in terms of fight or flight, which is a necessary, it's helped us a lot and still does. It's all caught up in 
in the perpetua perpetuating this autopilot reaction to trying to get away from the pain and disturbance of the body mind. Yeah. I love this concept around body mind. And it, I love that you put them together because something that I really feel is that they should be in alignment and that they are together. And so it just really speaks to how important it is for this awareness of wholeness, like to not separate them out, being aware of the body, but also being aware of the mind and then the soul or whatever you call that self that's observing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the body mind, the reason why I say that is because is you can have a thought and instantly there's a feeling or you can have a feeling and instantly there's a thought or an imagination or, or some me you know picture memory you know and so the body and the mind operate like as like a projector screen almost yeah yeah you know i reckon we could keep on talking like for a long time yeah, we could. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really <laughs> conscious to try and keep the episodes to a manageable level for for people who are listening so they can doesn't take up too much yeah. of their time in their life <laughs> yeah but, uh, so yeah short sharp and sweet i really really enjoyed this conversation yeah thank you for having me i learned so much i really really appreciate you you just sharing your wisdom with me i think it's so nice and we talked about this a little earlier when there's a there's i want to say carl young had a quote that was like the meeting of two, something like about the therapeutic process, but it's something like the meeting of two people always creates a chemical reaction. It's like they both leave pain. Yeah, synchronicity. Yeah. So there's something really beautiful about getting to have this conversation and feeling like I'm leaving with something I didn't have before. So I'm just <laughs> grateful as well. Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed it too. And, I, to share, and, and likewise, you know, just sharing, because I see like we are the same yeah you know, we and, are. In the, beyond the personality we are the same you know yeah. and i think that's that kind of synchronicity and seeing that you know seeing a, a, you know, each other is um really you know it would be good if everyone was able to see each other yeah yeah and really transcend this just looking at the physical yeah just listening you talk it's like you're reaching down into my soul and saying things <laughs> i haven't gotten to say and it's just beautiful and you're all the way in australia and <laughs> in yeah. atlanta georgia right now yeah, all right. cool <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah well yeah. i'm sure that i'll see you again sometime and thank you so much for taking the time uh, what time is it there yeah. it must be late isn't yeah, like 10 o'clock or something. Oh, that's good. It's not too late. Yeah. Not terrible. Yeah. 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 Well, thank right. you so much. You're welcome. Well, okay. Bye for now then. All right. <laughs>